Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. We have a sort of an unusual program this week. This week, we're dealing with uh, 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 a group of people who uh, provide such a wonderful service for the citizens of North Carolina in many different ways. And we're dealing and uh, we're dealing with them through a fellow by the name of Tim Bradley. And Tim is the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association. So, uh, Tim, first of all, welcome to the program. Delighted you could be with us. And how about giving us a little bit of a background of exactly what the North Carolina State Firefighters Association does and what is its goals and purpose? Okay, thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, the uh, North Carolina State Firefighters Association was actually formed in 1887. It was uh, it's probably one of the few nonprofit associations in North Carolina that was actually uh, founded by an act of the General Assembly. Uh, the North Carolina State Firefighters Association has its basis in statute. In fact, uh, it wasn't until about six years ago it was named the North Carolina Firemen Association, and we changed the title. Uh, to the current title of North Carolina State Firefighter Association. But we're a membership organization. Uh, technically, uh, the 1,300 or so uh, fire departments are our members, and then each of their members that they list on their roster by nature have also become a member of the State Firefighter Association. And it's, we're, our membership is about 54,000 strong, uh, and recognizing that that includes about 10,000 that serve on multiple departments. So we actually have about 46,500 bodies or members, and they're all firefighters, and our membership actually includes all the firefighters in North Carolina. Every firefighter in North Carolina is a member of our association, and I'll explain a little bit more about that as we go through, but uh, the uh, the membership, the membership uh, when you join the fire department, the fire department by, by itself is the member of the association, and when you're placed on their roster, uh, you become a member of the State Firefighter Association and have the benefits associated that with that. But we're uh, we're an advocacy association. We we uh, provide benefits to firefighters uh, who are our members, and we advocate for them in the General Assembly, with state agencies, and with the federal government uh, in trying to achieve benefits and and better conditions and more resources and more support. And that sort of thing. Our our uh, mandate by the General Assembly when we were formed was to actually monitor and uh, manage what's known as North Carolina Firefighters Relief Fund. That actually, inter interestingly enough, was created to keep firefighters out of the almshouse. I don't know if many people remember what the almshouse was, but that's what was the old county home. So it was actually created to. Uh, prevent firefighters from, once they retired, being poor and unable to support themselves. I remember uh, our membership consists of about 67% uh, volunteer uh, and about 33% career. So by, by that uh, membership count, you, you can recognize that uh, probably about 67% of our state's firefighters are volunteer and about 33% of our state firefighters of career by career you mean they're actually paid a, a salary and they this is theoretically their full-time job 
Yes. You know, interesting enough, I think uh, uh, when we've had the insurance commissioner on, he mentioned that uh, a number of the career, uh, i.e. professional or paid uh, firefighters, are also, in their spare time, members of uh, volunteer fire departments. That's correct. I mentioned that you know our membership, if you counted our members total from the firefighters listed on rosters, uh, we actually have about ten thousand, uh, about uh, fifty-six thousand, just a little over fifty-six thousand. Uh, ten thousand of those, ten thousand three hundred fourteen to be exact, serve on multiple departments. So probably the majority of those are either volunteers that serve on more than one department, or are career firefighters that work for a department as a career employee, but also serve in their local community as a volunteer while they're not uh, being uh, serving as a career. And that is, that's not to say uh, any of them work for a fire department and also volunteer for that fire department. That would be against the federal, uh, uh, federal law, federal employment laws. You can't be, you can't volunteer for an organization that you work for. So what that would mean is they may serve in a, say a municipal fire department's career employee, go out to their community where they live and volunteer for their local volunteer fire department. Now, we have a state fire marshal. Uh, how about talking about exactly what the role of the state fire marshal is and exactly who he is? Well, I actually worked for the uh, uh, state fire marshal for 28 years. I was a senior deputy commissioner of insurance. I was actually over the state fire marshal's office and uh, for years, since actually since the uh, 1960s, uh, the commissioner of insurance has been considered the state fire marshal. That changed this year when the General Assembly passed their budget. Uh, and and actually split the fire marshal position off from the uh, commissioner of insurance, who was Mike Causey. Uh, the current state fire marshal uh, is is a young man named Brian Taylor. Uh, I think he's from the area around Salisbury initially, but he uh, uh, he was also by a later bill passed, uh, Senate Bill Four Hundred Nine was established as a state fire marshal. Uh, and statute until he, he's reappointed next year. The commissioner of insurance uh, would now will now be responsible for appointing a state fire marshal that has to be confirmed by the general assembly. And uh, Senate Bill Four Hundred Nine, which was passed after the budget passed, as sort of a defining piece of legislation, uh, stated that the state fire marshal's office and its staff would remain as it was October first of this year. So the commissioner of insurance is no longer a state fire marshal. He'll still be involved, obviously, from the fact that the fire marshal's office is in the Department of Insurance and, and administrated through the Department of Insurance. But the, the new state fire marshal will be a singular uh, position confirmed by the General Assembly. And, uh, and I think you mentioned that he would be appointed by the, the commissioner of insurance. Is that correct or selected? Yes. It, well, he'll, he'll no. be nominated by the commissioner. Uh, of insurance that'll have to be confirmed by joint resolution of the General Assembly. Well, that's an interesting change. And uh, uh, so how many people will actually then end up working under the state fire marshal? I guess, my guess it would be around 120 employees. I think when I left, uh, there were about 104 and it's grown. They've developed, they've uh, started some new programs such as assisting the SBI with arson investigation. But, my guess it would be around 120 employees. And so what will their roles be? Exactly what will those 120 or so people actually do in providing uh, 
support for the uh, fire departments across the state of North Carolina? Well, it, it actually contains a number of divisions. Uh, they do fire training, uh, both both by co- uh, qualifying instructors to teach in rural communities and other communities uh, and direct delivery of specialized training. They have a division that inspects and rates fire departments, which uh, we may talk about at some point today, but uh, that there uh, you've heard of ISO ins- or insurance ratings. Uh, fire departments are graded on a scale from one to 10 and uh, the Department of Insurance Office of State Fire Marshal, they actually uh, rate, inspect and rate those departments under 150,000 in population uh, and give them that rating from one to 10. They have another division uh, that uh, conducts fire arson investigations, assists fire departments in investigation of fires. They'll, they have a life safety area that uh, deals with such areas as safe kids, fire prevention, uh, child passenger safety. Uh, and the, probably one of the largest sections deals with the state building and fire codes. Uh, they also do a little, some other things like regulate and manufacture housing. Uh, but uh, probably if you looked at it, it would be split uh, engineering, which has deals with codes and, and uh, uh, the, state, the state building and fire codes and, and building inspectors and fire inspectors. And the other half probably... Uh, deals with fire training, fire inspections, fire investigation, et cetera. Well, it's an interesting uh, uh, setup because uh, it, there are so many different versions of fire departments, as we talked about. You've got the volunteer fire departments. You've got the career departments. Uh, how many uh, cities in, uh, have career departments? There's actually, there's actually a there's actually a third uh, variation now uh, we, we divide fire departments into three categories a uh, volunteer which means all of their members are uh, volunteer career which means all their members are career in combination which is probably uh, uh becoming one of the larger uh groups in fact there are more combination departments in our career out of the 1306 fire departments uh 693 or about 50 55 percent are totally volunteer 154 or about 11 percent are totally paid but there are actually 458 departments that were volunteer departments that are now found it found it necessary to hire some career employees that may be two firefighters that work in the daytime to some combination departments have 40 or 50 employees now mevin where i live is a municipal department but we were when i when i uh was chief back in 1984 it was a total volunteer fire department we started hiring career personnel now uh mevin employs about 54 career firefighters and has about have about 22 volunteers so we would be a combination department most of your larger uh, and medium-sized municipalities uh, have a career department the smaller municipalities would fall in areas like the Mevin does and, and would have combination departments. Most of your total volunteer departments are more in the rural communities uh, of the state. That's interesting because it, uh, I, I guess as executive director of the North Carolina Firefighters Association, then you have different responsibilities for looking after the different uh, uh, needs and wants of those three different groups, and they're quite different. Uh, yes, the, the uh, uh, volunteer firefighters have different needs than the career firefighters. 
Uh, the benefits, uh, you know, echo quite evenly amongst volunteer career. And of course, there are part-time firefighters, but uh, particularly legislatively, when we go uh, uh, into our advocacy role in, in the legislative process, uh, the volunteer needs are often different than the career needs. We are, we're, we're often looking at the General Assembly to provide us some tax incentives uh, for volunteering. Uh, and of course, on the career side, they look at more issues uh, like the local government retirement, uh, career benefits, et cetera. So yes, yes, sir. The needs are different between the different types of departments. It's very interesting. I, uh, we've got lots of different things we want to talk about in the remaining segments of Carolina Newsmakers. One of which, of course, has to do with uh, this season of the year where we have a lot of people with uh, temporary wiring. We have Christmas trees and we have all sorts of other things that happen in the wintertime. We want to talk about some of those things and some tips that you might have for the safety of uh, those particular circumstances. Our guest is Tim Bradley, and he is the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association. And we shall return with Tim right after we take time out for these messages. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from, they can truly thrive, like Marta. And now we'll hear from our class valedictorian, who with our hard work never ceases to amaze us. Please welcome Marta Moreno. And Alex. Hey, Alex. How did the interview go? I did it! I got the job! I can't believe it! I knew it! Let's meet up later to celebrate. And Diego. Mom! I got first place at the science fair with my volcano project! That's amazing, sweetie. Congratulations! Because when people are fed, futures are nourished, and everyone deserves to live a full life. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org slash act now. feedingamerica.org slash act now. A public service announcement brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, this week we are dealing with firefighters in the state of North Carolina. And we as a, have as our guest Tim Bradley, who is the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association, who works closely with the state fire marshal which is now an independent position with some 120 employees. Uh, Tim, I, you know, I guess one of the things we would like to talk to you about is uh, during Christmas when people have uh, special electrical needs, uh, a lot of people have outdoor displays and a lot of people have indoor displays, and this involves a lot of drop cords and things of this nature. Uh, does this create uh, a special need for any tips that you might want to suggest of how people can be more careful to avoid fires during this time of the year? Because nothing could be worse than having a fire during the Christmas season. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's actually a, a, a 
commonality of things. One, one when the winter months come around, uh, we we see more fires because of uh, heating heating appliances, and then obviously during the holidays, uh, uh, fires started by Christmas tree fires or fires by, uh, created by faulty electrical equipment uh, are all issues that sort of expand the number of calls we, we run during the year. Uh, I think uh, just last week uh, there was a, a, a young child killed in a fire in Winston-Salem because of the, uh, the Christmas tree lit off uh, because of a lighter. One of the things that has occurred that's uh, helped our situation tremendously is the, is the fact that a lot of people now use uh, artificial trees, the pre-lit artificial. Another thing that's helped was uh, several years ago, um, I would I would say probably 15 or 16 years ago, uh, the state fire code began to require Christmas tree providers to to uh, spray the trees with a fire retardant material. Um, another another thing that's helped, of course, is the fact that most people don't use the really large lights on Christmas trees. Uh, many use the smaller incandescent and even the LED, which generate a lot less heat. Uh, but over the years, uh, you know, Christmas tree safety and Christmas decoration safety has been a key issue for many life safety educators in the state, uh, as well, you know, as well as the state fire marshal's office. Uh, for things such as this, if you use a live tree, make sure you keep water in it um, so that it doesn't dry out. Don't purchase the tree too early. Uh, or, and put it up too early so that it dries out. Uh, if you've ever had the opportunity, and I'm sure you you, know, you you can find some on some of the fire prevention networks on face, Facebook, uh, YouTube, et cetera, or you could just look up Christmas tree fire. But if you've ever seen a dry Christmas tree lit, lit off in front of someone, you can just imagine how horrific that would be if it was inside your home. So, Christmas tree, you know, is the, I guess is the area where safety begins. The other, obviously, is the electrical issue of, of running so many decorations, uh, not only from a, uh, a fire standpoint, but from an electrocution standpoint. Uh, the uh, fire code and building codes require outside uh, devices to be placed on ground fault breakers. Most outside receptacles and houses constructed since the 70s have ground fault uh, interrupters uh, on them so that if there is a ground uh, the, the receptacle trips but that would be the first advice I uh, use a receptacle that's rated for the material that you're using both in in, in size and grounding and uh, don't run drop cords uh, under rugs uh, don't staple or nail uh, drop cords to walls or rails or anything of that nature and generally keep them well ventilated uh, and they also produce a trip hazard in addition to fire so keep them keep them out of the way and don't don't take that to mean put them under a rug but just keep them out of the way walk walk through paths but uh, you know the the uh, North Carolina Office State Fire Marshal which we talked about earlier have some tips on their webpage concerning fire safety and uh, you can find an abundance of it not only through the state fire marshal's office, but locally, most uh, fire departments who have life safety and fire prevention officers put out material concerning fire safety during the winter holidays, as well as uh, the winter itself.
Well, all fires, I guess, at the inception are small, so fire extinguishers would seem to me to be very important. How many people have fire extinguishers at home, and how many people probably need to look at that when they do their shopping? Uh, perhaps maybe even as a Christmas present to someone in their family. I would, I would, uh, I don't know if anybody has, uh, the Consumer Product Safety Commission may have some actual stats on that, but my guess is less than 20% of the uh, uh, public would have access or would have a fire extinguisher in their home. Apartment complexes are required to have them on floors, uh, but I don't know that uh, your average house has a fire extinguisher. There's also a new product that's gaining popularity and and uh, particularly for stove fires, stovetop fires, uh, it's called a fire blanket. They're reusable, and uh, you hang them actually very close like you do a fire extinguisher. And if you have a fire on your stove, you simply uh, snatch the blanket down and cover the fire, and it puts it out. That uh, That's often uh, more uh, uh, easier for a consumer to use than trying to use a fire extinguisher uh, and pointing a device at a fire. Uh, but I, I'm not sure how many have them, but it's a good idea to, have access not just during the christmas season but cooking fires have become one of the uh, fastest growing causes of residential fires uh, and uh, either a fire blanket or a fire extinguisher is handy to have if if uh, your your pot of uh, stew or whatever catches on fire on top of your stove or your turkey catches on fire in the stove well another thing of course that is very important to people are smoke alarms uh, what are the current rules and regulations regarding smoke alarms and uh, uh, particularly with reference to uh, when the batteries should be changed? Well, the uh, uh, since, since the uh, late 1970s, uh, smoke detectors have been required in new residential construction. And, and uh, I guess about 12 years ago, NFPA, as well as the North Carolina State Building Code, uh, change the requirement where now you're supposed to have smoke detectors and new construction on each floor and outside each bedroom or outside of each group of bedrooms. Um, I, I can't express enough from a fire safety perspective how important uh, smoke detectors are. You can you can literally find hundreds every year of people who were able to say, safely get out of a house fire because of the working smoke detector. And you can also find ample examples of uh, fire fatalities where uh, no active or working smoke detectors were found. Uh, smoke detectors have evolved over the years. Uh, I used to carry a, a couple of packs of nine volt batteries in my glove box because I'd get a call from someone that their smoke detector was chirping um, and the battery should have been replaced annually. If they still have those kind of detectors, they probably ought to replace the detector uh, because the new new detectors uh, in the last 11 years or so are are called 10-year detectors, and they come with a 10-year battery. And when, when they're installed, uh, they should be replaced uh, every 10 years. In fact, they'll start beeping uh, when it's time to replace them, uh, much like the carbon uh, uh, monoxide alarms. Uh, they're usually rated about seven years, and they'll start beeping. But the new smoke detectors, have 10-year lithium batteries in them and uh, should be replaced r routinely. We suggest that people, when they purchase a smoke detector, write the date on it 
uh, so that they know it's getting time, getting close to time to replace those detectors. There are hardwired systems that people have alarm systems, and those detectors are typically a little different. But your average home uh, is installed, you know, just has normal smoke detectors. And there's one, there's one other issue that I'd like to, I'd like to mention in passing, and uh, the fire service would like to see uh, more of this. But of course, it, it it adds to the cost of homes. So, uh, it's it's been opposed. Uh, in many aspects because it increases the cost of homes. That's called residential sprinklers. Uh, smoke detectors uh, give notice and uh, an opportunity for people to get out of a fire. Residential sprinklers knock the fire down. And uh, if, if, you've watch, if you watch uh, some of the tests that like the state fire marshal's office does, where they have side-by-side rooms, one sprinkler and one not sprinklered, and you take a, a foam couch ignited, uh, Sometimes even with smoke detectors, uh, with the material we have in homes today, it just still doesn't allow the time for folks to get out. And so residential sprinklers, I'm hoping, uh, after my career, will continue to grow and uh, be more prevalent in, in residential communities. Now, uh, are, how many homes are actually connected with their smoke alarm to the fire department? Uh, mo- uh, I, probably... It's, it, I'd say probably less than 10%. Uh, a lot of new homes buy, uh, you know, alarm systems when they build a home, but that's an added expense. Most of the time when the smoke detector goes off, we get a call because uh, someone has heard the detector. But we do run a fair number of residential fire alarms that have uh, fire protection systems where when when the one smoke detector goes off, it calls ADT or another uh, company and then they dispatch the fire department. That's probably less than 10%, I would say, of the overall homes. Uh, it's a growing trend uh, in new construction to put alarm systems, both burglar and fire. Uh, but uh, with, the, with the existence of older homes, I would say probably less than 10% have a fire alarm system. Now, I, understand, I understand that uh, there is some danger uh, in uh, jump-starting a battery for your car that uh, can result in an explosion. Yeah, that's not, that's some, that's an area I'm not an expert in, but uh, we have had calls over the years where uh, people even uh, uh, get uh, um, automobile batteries by their nature off gas with a certain amount of flammable gas. And uh, when you jump up, when you jump it, a lot of times sparks are caused either by disconnecting the, the positive and, negative side incorrectly or just as you get close to the terminal there's an arc and it, sometimes it can ignite that gas that's off, that off gas that's coming off the battery you know we recommend i think most most um, uh, manufacturers now recommend that you place the ground uh leg of the of the jumper cable to a, the frame of the motor so that you don't have that arc there at the battery and place your positive uh leg on the battery itself to reduce that chance of explosion. Well, generally speaking, are there any other tips that you would offer at this time that uh, would increase safety in the home? Uh, we've talked about uh, having smoke detectors. We've talked about having uh, the fire blankets. We've talked about uh, fire extinguishers. Anything else? Yeah, this is probably going to sound like your fourth grade class in school, but uh, <laughs> practice, ex- 
practice escape routes. Uh, everybody in the everybody in the home should know two ways out. Uh, there should be a meeting place. Uh, you'd be surprised at the number of fatalities where parents have gone back in to get kids when the kids have actually gone out another way. So to find a meeting place outside for everybody to, to get together and obviously uh, the fire department can see and stay out once you get out. Good tip. Uh, two ways out, and I, I guess that is especially true for uh, two two story homes. Our guest is uh, Tim Bradley. He's the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association, and uh, we've covered a number of very interesting topics. We want to talk about the career of being a fire uh, fighter uh, and uh, staffing needs that they might have, and we'll do that right after we take time out for these these messages. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veterans guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> a heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihabprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tim Bradley is our guest. He's the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association. Tim, I understand for years you were a uh, uh, on the, uh, the Mebbin Fire Department and uh, holding the position of chief for seven years. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you became a, uh, interested in firefighting and, and what it's uh, meant to you as far as your career. Well, I actually, uh, uh, my mom, my mom told me that I used to draw pictures of fire in kindergarten. So I, I would say I probably had that interest uh, for years, but uh, I noticed when I went, went to college right out of high school, uh, you know, there was, I went to Winget and they had a volunteer fire department. Some of the students were members. So when I came back after my first year in college, uh, I actually joined Mebbin as a volunteer in 1974 and I actually still run uh, as a volunteer assistant chief, uh, this is my 49th year, but I got in, I got involved initially, obviously like a lot of the young folks do, uh, because of the excitement of it. But after a while, uh, you maintain that involvement because of your, your desire to serve the local community. We've got, uh, you know, 67% of our state firefighters are still volunteer. And most of those are just simply, uh, individuals, um, uh, men and women who, uh, you know, want to help protect the community that they live in. 
Well, firefighting is is interesting. I guess all of us at one time or another thought about riding on the the truck with the siren blasting away and all that sort of thing. That's sort of the glamorous part, but it's also a very dangerous thing and it requires training. Tell us how firefighters today are trained and certified. Uh, NF, the fire, fire training is driven by a series of National Fire Protection Association standards. Their consensus standards were developed uh, nationally or actually internationally. They're used all across the world. Uh, and then, you know, the states like North Carolina, which is actually one of the functions of the Office of State Fire Marshal, they have a fire and rescue commission. Uh, they develop certification requirements and training requirements for firefighters. Uh, so, for example, in, NFPA 1001 is a is standard for firefighter training. It consists of about 21 areas, uh, everything from fire behavior, uh, forcible entry, ladders, personal protective equipment, uh, the, all these all these things that a firefighter needs to know and and you, you, you migrate through those series of courses until you've completed all the necessary areas. Uh, you're tested on, it and on those, and you receive certification. That's sort of the initial degree, I would say, uh, for a firefighter. Uh, and it's done, in, it's done in a couple of ways. If you went to a municipal department uh, like Charlotte, Raleigh, some of the larger ones uh, who have their own training facility, they have a training academy. Most of their firefighters come into the department as a as a as a member of probationary member of the academy. They go through probably five six hundred hours of training in fire and rescue, and then they're placed at a station or a house uh, to run calls. Volunteer uh, the fire departments in many ways off act a little different. If you join a volunteer fire department, you uh, they don't have the training facility to send these folks through a organized academy. So a lot of the training that's delivered at the volunteer departments is done through the local community colleges. They deliver to the same standard. They use the same instructors, the NFPA 1001 standard. They use the same course titles. Uh, it's just done over a different, in a different manner as, as uh, on a training night or training Saturday. And then when you get into specialization courses, uh, Instruct, uh, instructors again go out to the community college. The, the career departments, in many cases, use their academy uh, to teach specialized courses like hazardous materials, vehicle extrication, uh, and lo local local volunteer departments. In many cases, use community college to come out and deliver those courses at the station themselves. The fire service is sort of an interesting, and uh, it's interesting and unique. You won't you you know you, you find such a variety of fire departments across the state. Uh, as I said, a lot of them are volunteer, a lot of them are career, a lot of them are a combination of career and volunteer. But uh, I've always I've always said that fire protection is sort of a local issue. Uh, fire departments sort of adapt to the community, or the community adapts to the fire department. Uh, if you go to Wilmington Fire Department, for example, uh, their their firefighters. Uh, Wilmington and Moorhead, their firefighters are going to have to have some shipboard training because they have to cover a port. If you go to Raleigh and Greensboro, Charlotte, uh, some of their firefighters have crash, uh, aircraft crash and rescue training because they have airports. Uh, your rural departments uh, deal primarily with structure fires, wildland fires, uh, agricultural incidents, uh, and that's what they train for. So training is often 
you know, adapted to the needs of the area. Those departments like Nevin that have a rail service or an interstate highway going through, uh, you deal in you deal with training with railroad incidents, or and you train more heavily on auto high speed automobile accidents. So uh, the training not only does the department sort of adapt to the needs of the community and equipment, but so does the training. Uh, Charlotte, Mebane, uh, Raleigh, we have fire hydrants. We have a structured water system. You get out in rural North Carolina, they don't have fire hydrants, so they carry the water with them in tankers. Uh, but the need's the same. If you fight a, if you fight a, a two-story house, your water flow may requirements may be 250 gallons a minute. Uh, where in a city, you hook to a hydrant, and that's where you get that 250 gallons a minute. In the rural area, you have a system of water tankers, uh, tanker task force, where you call assistance from other departments. They drop the water into a tank. The, in, the engine fighting fire drop drafts the water out, uh, which is called a mobile water supply. Same, same firefighting techniques, different way to get the water. So if I was in a city fire department, I'd train very rarely on uh, tankers and drafting water out of a tank. If I was in a rural area, I'd train harder on drafting water out of a tank and setting up that drop tank and wouldn't deal as much in hitting a hydrant with a large diameter hose. So the training, uh, the training sort of adapts to the fire department, uh, just as the fire department is adapted to the area. Uh, and there's a there's a host of NFPA standards. There's NFPA 1006, which is a rescue technician standard. Many fire departments do uh, automobile rescue, rope rescue. Uh, there's a hazmat standard. There's a driver standard for a driver operator that drive and pump the trucks. There, that's separated in the engines and aerials. So the training, the training for uh, the fire service is very uh, uh, extensive, and it's something you have to do continuously, uh, regardless of whether you're training for that rural fire where you're drafting water, or a, you know, 16-story fire in uh, Charlotte where you may have a need for more high-rise training. Is staffing a problem these days? Are there still people? Uh... Plenty of volunteers for those volunteer fire departments. And what about the uh, uh, number of folks who are interested in becoming career firefighters? Well, na nationally and in North Carolina, uh, it's getting harder and harder to recruit volunteer firefighters. Uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. A lot of people work outside their community. A lot of people are having to work multiple jobs uh, to support their families. And it's much more difficult to volunteer. So uh, while some departments are very fortunate to have an adequate supply of people in their community interested in volunteering, uh, while uh, recruiting and retain, retaining or what we call uh, recruitment and retention are key issues in the fire volunteer fire service today. Actually, career fire departments are, are it's, it's, there's not much difference. One of the benefits uh, that career departments enjoy are the volunteer fire department provides an excellent pool of employees. A lot of young, uh, a lot of young men and women join the volunteer fire department and train and get their credentials, and then they go to work for a career department later. and And so the volunteers sort of been a pool. Volunteer department sort of been a pool for career, but career fire departments across the state are facing manpower shortages and recruitment uh, difficulties. Uh, I, I, I saw an article in the paper a couple of weeks ago where Raleigh. Uh, fire department itself was was down about 28 percent in manpower 
they were running recruit classes, but uh, uh, those areas of service, uh, you know, the jobs areas of service uh, may not be as attractive to young people today. So uh, organizations like the National Volunteer Fire Council, uh, the International Association of Firefighters, International Association of Fire Chiefs, all have uh, programs for recruitment and retention. Uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council have, of course, which we have on our webpage, uh, do you want to be a firefighter or so you want to be a firefighter? Uh, that, that, that assists uh, people who may want to join but in their community but don't know how. Uh, the North Carolina Association of Fire Chiefs actually has a grant um, through FEMA uh, and the International Association of Fire Chiefs on recruitment and retention, retention of volunteer firefighters. So it, it has been an issue and it is an issue. Uh, it probably is, is uh, regional uh, and you may find one area that fire department says they don't have any trouble at all recruiting members. Uh, you may have others that are really struggling to maintain the minimum number of people for the for a fire department. I'm going to change the subject and talk about the volunteer fire departments because when I grew up in Gaston County, uh, communities actually grew around volunteer fire departments. Uh, I, I think of the Tryon area uh, in Gaston County. Uh, it was uh, the volunteer fire department was more than just fire protection. It was the community activity center in a way. Do we still have a lot of that going on? I, I absolutely, I, I, I tell people and, and, and uh, uh, tell them often, you know, the volunteer fire department, in many cases, the hub of the community, uh, the career is the same. Uh, you know, even, even departments, uh, career departments had multiple stations. Uh, that's an area where mothers can go get their car seats checked or kids go to visit the fire station. Uh, elections are held there uh, or their voting precincts. Uh, in the rural communities, it's, it's the same. A lot of fire, a lot of volunteer fire departments are are actually set up at community centers. I spoke at a rural fire department's uh, Christmas banquet last Friday night, uh, and 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 uh, next door to the fire department is the city is the uh, area community center. So yes, uh, uh, I w- I would still continue to maintain that uh, volunteer fire departments, particularly, are the hub of local communities in rural areas. Well, that, there's a long tradition of that, and it was uh, at least very important then, and I'm glad to know it's still uh, a factor, especially since so many areas in North Carolina are isolated. We think of North Carolina because we have the major cities of the Piedmont Crescent, Charlotte, Greensboro, and Raleigh, and Asheville, and Greenville, and so forth, but the uh, makeup of the population uh, in many, many counties is almost totally rural, and so it is important. Um uh, any other comments along the line of uh, volunteer fire departments before we finish up this segment? Well, uh, you know, we we started this. We started off the, today with the talking about our, our association. Our association is actually broken into three groups: uh, a regional, Piedmont of the Western Piedmont and Eastern. And just looking at the at, at the difference between the Piedmont and the East, uh, there's a, a alarmingly more number of volunteers in the east than there are in the piedmont there's fewer career firefighters in the east than there are in piedmont so that that uh that variety of fire departments across state uh is unique in a number of ways our board members are actually elected from these regions uh to serve on our board we have a nine member board so 
you're right. Uh, uh, the the variety of the fire departments across the state have much to do with the variety variety of the community, whether it's rural, agricultural, suburban, or or uh, municipal. Uh, we have one more segment with our guest Tim Bradley, who's the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters, and we're going to talk about their role as advocates for firefighters and also where their funding comes from and their funding needs. Uh, equipment's very expensive. Manpower is very expensive. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing. Or your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince's. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. <laughs> Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tim Bradley is our guest. He's the executive director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association. We've talked about tips on how to prevent fires. We've talked about uh, the difference between the volunteer, the career fire departments, and the combination. We've talked about a lot of things. Very interesting program. In this segment, we want to talk about funding where the money comes to pay for volunteer uh, uh, firefighters, uh, the equipment, because it's expensive, and uh, also the staffing needs and other uh, funding requirements. Uh, and we also want to talk about legislation that uh, your association might be advocating with the North Carolina General Assembly on behalf of the firefighters. Let's start with funding. Uh, of course, there's a difference between, again, the uh, career fire departments and the volunteer fire departments, but the equipment, somebody's got to pay for it, the buildings and all that sort of thing. How, how does that happen? Well, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Again, uh, as I said in an earlier segment, the, the volunteer fire department sort of, sort of aligns itself with the community. Municipal departments are obviously funded by the municipal tax base. Uh, but by and large, the rural departments in North Carolina, uh, have different funding mechanisms. A uh, uh, little over a thousand of these uh, departments across state have what's, what, what are known as tax districts. Uh, there's two types of tax districts. One uh, is a tax district that's voted in by the people. Uh, the fire department goes in, they get 35% of the, the, the population's signature in their fire district, and they have a 
county referendum and they vote or a local referendum and voted in. That's called a fire tax district. Uh, that's one way that they're funded. The other way is fire service districts, uh, tax districts. These are districts that can be established by the county commissioners, much like uh, water districts, sewer districts, recreation districts. Uh, they're they're a little bit different, but the way these work, they're pretty much the same. Uh, residents pay anywhere from one to fifteen cent per hundred dollar property value in, in a fire tax, and this this goes other than four percent that the county can retain for collection. Collection, this goes to the volunteer departments. That sounds like a windfall uh, to some people, but really, really, it's not. Uh, you you get in some of the uh, uh, suburban counties like Wake County, uh, Guilford County, uh, your tax, the tax rate or tax, these tax district can bring in a fair amount of money because you have a, a heavy tax base. You go out in the middle of some of the rural counties where your tax base is by and large residential farming communities, farming land, uh, that still doesn't, it still doesn't bring in enough money, uh, for the fire department to, uh, to operate. So they do fundraisers anywhere from chicken chicken dinners to fish fries, tractor pulls, which they don't do as much as they used to, but that used to be pretty popular. Uh, any variety of ways to raise funds to supplement that fire tax to the district or local fire tax. Uh, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a constant need to, to do. The, when, I joined, when, I joined the, when I was fire chief, the last engine uh, we bought when I was fire chief was $120,000. And that was, that was, that had gone up from like $30,000 10 years earlier for, for an engine, uh, because we went to totally enclosed cabs. Now, whether you're a career department or a volunteer department or a mixed combination department, you look, you're looking at a new fire engine that meets the, uh, uh NFPA requirements of anywhere from 450 to $900,000 for one truck one fire engine you come to our show one of the things one of the things we do each year is we have this huge conference in raleigh and we have a vendor show if you come to that show you can see ladder trucks are 1.4 1.7 million uh engines even a volunteer rural department uh, purchasing an engine may be looking at five hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's a lot of chicken plates <laughs> uh, there bet. are some, yeah there are some grants the federal the federal uh, FEMA offers a grant called a, um, a Fire Act grant, uh, which is very hard to get because it's competitive across the, uh, the United States. Uh, the actually the Department of Insurance has, which was uh, this this grant was started when I was there with the Department uh, of State Fire Marshal uh, for fire departments that have less than six career people. Uh, they're eligible for the Volunteer Fire Department grant through the Department of Insurance. Uh, they can get, I think it's uh, $50,000 grants. It was at one time 30 uh, to, for, to assist with equipment. Uh, it's, it's also, we talked about fire trucks, but it's also and, uh, now, you know, it costs about $2,000, uh, anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000 just to outfit a firefighter. Fire helmets are uh, $300, $400, $500 now when, when I when I was fire chief back in the seventies, eighties, uh, they were they were sixty dollars, ninety dollars. There, it's just really uh, amazing the cost. So it's a constant battle to find funding to fund these departments. 
So how long uh, is the useful life of a fire truck that costs somewhere between four and fifty and nine hundred thousand dollars? How many years of service will that truck give? It really depends on the fire department use. In some of your cities, they may get eight to ten years. Uh, I've seen I've seen some rural fire departments that still have nineteen uh, seventies trucks uh, in operation. Uh, so it really depends on how much they're used. Uh, the insurance services office. Uh, that used to be involved, ISO used to be involved in rating uh, fire departments, often placed 20 years as the life of a truck. But I would say your career departments aren't getting 20. The ones that have a lot of runs and your volunteer departments probably get more than uh, 20 years out of a service. But um, it takes a long time selling chicken plates to, to buy a truck, even if it's going to last 20 years. Now, one of the main purposes of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association is to advocate on behalf of the firefighters. Uh, and uh, so what are some of the things that uh, you have been successful in the last couple of years in getting the General Assembly to do? And what are some of the things on your wish list? Well, we've, we've uh, uh, the, the association, you know, one of the things we want to make sure of is the, the firefighters are protected uh, now and of course, one of the things we want to guard against is that their family is taken care of if if there's a line of duty death. So one of the things we've been very successful in is acquiring benefits for a line of duty death. Our association has a a hundred thousand dollar line of duty death benefit policy, as does the state. In North Carolina, uh, heart attacks are included in line of duty deaths, also as well as uh, six types of cancer that are very that are prevalent in the fire service. Uh, each of those uh, create a situation where the family is eligible for line of duty death. It's also a public safety officer's benefit at the federal level. It, it pays about four $400,000 for line of duty death, but it doesn't um, cover cancer. So take, getting those benefits for to take care of families in the, in the light of a, uh, a line of duty death has, has always been important. We've been very successful, but in the last four years, uh, we've also been successful in, in getting a cancer insurance policy for uh, firefighters who uh, acquire cancer. If if, uh, if you look at the statistics, uh, prostate cancer, for example, the uh, uh, a firefighter is 180 times more likely to develop prostate cancer than an average man. Uh, cervical cancer, uh, esophageal mesothelioma, a testicular, all these cancers are prevalent. We used to look at cancer as being an issue of lungs because of smoke. But now what, what over the last decade, what they found is uh, the particulates of, of combustion that firefighters deal with, you used to call it smut, uh, that get on their neck are carcinogens and they get into their lymph nodes. And so cancer in the fire service is prevalent. Overall, you're about two, two point, uh, two, 200 times more likely to develop cancer uh, than the average individual simply by being in fire service. So we've been successful in uh, uh, getting, uh, getting that cancer program. And well, probably one of the other things we've been successful is maintaining a fire and rescue workers pension program. If you serve uh, 20 years on the fire department uh, at age 55, uh, you can draw $170 a month uh, for life. Uh, and that that's after you've paid into it for 20 years and had 20 years of service. That's career and volunteer. So we've managed to keep that funding as funded as well 
there are a lot of other uh, things we deal with as far as trying to get the roadway access for fire stations. Uh, but the benefits, the looking at the benefits is, is one of our key areas. Uh, you know, I want to mention this because uh, we've had some programs on with the American Red Cross, but you work uh, extensively with uh, other emergency services and including the American Red Cross, especially with residential fires. Yeah, the Red the Red Red Cross is on most of our chief's call list. If we have a if we have a residential fire where uh, the family is displaced, we in many communities we can call the Red Cross and they'll put the family up until their insurance can come in and take over and provide for living uh, provisions. The other thing I wanted to mention is how important it is that uh, the fire department's ratings go up because that affects the cost of homeowners insurance. And you've been working with the state fire marshal to uh, raise these standards, and that actually saves people money. Yeah, the, the, the ISO, or what they call the fire suppression grade of a fire department, 1 to 10, the lower that rating is, uh, all the way down to 1, the lower your homeowner's insurance. And that, that also is for commercial and business as well. Uh, so a lot of times those tax bases and providing equipment to your local volunteer fire department actually saves you money in the long run. I, I have seen fire districts where it drops, when they drop from a rural rating of nine to a rating three, uh, the insurance savings for some homes almost equaled what they were paying in the fire tax. So yeah, the, the, the training and equipment equipping of fire departments to, Improve that ISO rating is critical to get those insurance rates low. You've got about uh, 45 seconds to tell me what's at the top of your list right now. As you uh, look at the beginning of the new year, what are the things and activities that you will be working on as uh, executive director of the State Firefighters Association? Well, uh, legislatively, uh, lobbying for uh, uh, the use of better signaling on the interstate uh, for our apparatus. We're seeing a lot of apparatus hit. Uh, continuing to improve and and uh, uh, improve benefits, uh, some with our career firefighters. Uh, try to try to get the, try to parallel them with some of the police officer benefits, uh, and getting cancer the cancer insurance program permanently funded. We have it funded now on a year to year basis, but uh, we'd like to get a permanent funding source so we know that cancer insurance is funded in well into the future and probably. Last but not least, on the cancers, try to get our retirees on the list. Uh, those uh, those fire, firefighters retiring are uh, as subjective to cancer as anybody. Tim, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. Tim Bradley, the Executive Director of the North Carolina State Firefighters Association. Been a very interesting program. If you joined us late and you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, or hear it for the first time, you can go on to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. If you happen to be listening to a station that carries the 30-minute version, the two other segments are also available. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll be back next week with another guest on Carolina Newsmakers. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.